Thank you, Brother Richard, for that prayer supplication. As you turn in your Bibles to the third epistle of John, John, the third epistle, third John, or as one old preacher called it, three I John. Uh, anyway, however you look at it. Uh, let me just uh, recognize that we are blessed to have in our presence today uh, Jacob and Brittany Pilgrim. Uh, They're not fleeing from the hurricane. Uh, they actually came right into the path of it. Uh, they, got, they, they blew in here for the big wedding last night. But it's so good to have our former members back and to uh, share. And we just, uh, we've been praying for the two of you too as you're adjusting in married life and, and certainly uh, your lives together there in the Atlanta area. Georgia. As you look at uh, 3 John, we'll be beginning to pick up with uh, John's theme of addressing the whole idea of hospitality. Uh, we saw the beloved disciple in John, 2 John talking about the importance of hospitality and, and discernment in hospitality. And so uh, in Second John, he's writing to someone, uh, and uh, actually the, the lady is called the elect lady and her children, uh, the obviously dear Christian friends in one of the churches in the Asia Minor province that uh, John was familiar with and knew and, and, and even confessed in his letter. He loved them in Christ. And, uh, and so John continues with yet another very personal letter uh, as he's writing Third uh, John. And so it's, it's, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that John speaks a great deal about love. And he's known as the beloved disciple. And that's because John firsthand witnessed, heard Christ, the Son of God, speaking about the importance of love uh, in, in the kingdom uh, concept and, and also in the life of followers of Christ. We should love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we should love uh, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and not only that, we should love our neighbors who happen maybe not to be Christians. But the fact is, love is important to the Christian life. And so, let's begin reading in 3 John there, uh, in verse 1. And, uh, and just let John speak to us. He, he begins in, in, in the beginning, in, in this salutation of 3 John, very similar to that he, the way he did in 2 John. Uh, by, by identifying himself. Usually in, in the letters that we write, I don't know how many people write letters anymore, uh, even emails, but you know, the custom in our Western culture is that we wait to the end to identify. You know, we'll say, dear so-and-so, and then go through the whole body of the letter, and at the end, so how many of you all cheat by going right to the end of the letter and see who wrote the letter first, if you didn't know or guess? Yeah, you go, so who is this letter from? Before I take time to read it, you know? Uh, no, I'm sure you don't do that. But you see, in that custom in the Roman culture, people began their letters by identifying themselves. And John identifies himself right away as the elder, as he did in 2 John. And in their ways to look at that, because John, of course, could be speaking uh, ecclesiastically in terms of his role as an elder, and he certainly was. He was probably the senior elder of the early church, if you will. But John probably is making reference to his chronological age. The fact is, John at this point, scholars tell us, is probably in his 90s. And so therefore he is the elder. And so he could be speaking in terms of his age. He could be speaking in terms of his role in the church as an elder. But then, don't forget, John is the only remaining apostle 
who walked with Jesus Christ. And he is an elder in that respect as well. But anyway, he begins the letter, the elder. And I imagine anybody in any of the churches in the province of Asia Minor that were familiar with John, that's all they needed to see. The elder. They knew exactly who wrote this letter. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. One of the first things that we see that John does here, in, in not only expressing his love for this dear brother, who was obviously a member of one of the churches that John had ministered to there in the Asia Minor province. And, and scholars will tell you, commentaries will say, it's hard to pinpoint who Gaius really was. Because that was a common name, one of the most popular names in the Roman culture. So it could be almost anybody. There are no other identifying you know, characteristics or, uh, or marks about Gaius. All we know is he was someone that was close to John. John loved, John respected. And so we see John commends his friend Gaius for his integrity. You know, we need more people who call themselves Christians and church members who are people of integrity. You know what I'm talking about. People who not only talk the talk, but, but individuals who walk the walk. Who, 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 whose lives and actions and attitudes back up their claims uh, in, in faith and, and their claims from their lips. And so John opens this letter, 3 John, in a very personal way. Here in verse 1 and 2, the apostle reflects the sentiments expressed already in 2 John. If you look back over there, just at verse 1, again, the elder in, in 2 John, verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth. And so you see similarities, parallels there. John is expressing his, his sentiments for, his feelings for these fellow Christians, but he's also connecting love and truth. The fact that there is element of truth, and we'll talk about that. And now, when John addresses, going back to 3 John, in verse 2, when he, he refers to Gaius as the beloved, or he just simply says beloved. We don't often use that term. It may sound a little bit ancient or whatever, but it was a very popular term. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, it was reserved only for followers of Jesus Christ. So when you're speaking of beloved in the context of the church, you're speaking of fellow believers who share your deep love for the Lord. And John uses this pretty freely over in Colossians in chapter 3. I thought it was just interesting as we look at the similarities of, uh, of this term and how it's reserved for those in the, in the faith and in the uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
Put on, own, put on mercies, tender mercies, kindness, hum, humbleness, and, and, and humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. Paul refers to Christians. He says, you are not only the elect of God as, as followers of Christ. You're holy. You're set aside. And you are the beloved. And that's what John seizes upon as he's greeting this dear friend there. And John uses it not only here in, in verse 2 of, of 3 John, but he uses it uh, in, in verse 1 to the beloved Gaius and then also in verse 2 and then in verse 5 and in verse 11 so over and over he's referring to this dear friend as the beloved so this letter opens on a very personal note but it also reveals the apostles awareness of Gaius's reputation he, you know as you look at the way that, that John is greeting this, this precious friend his customary greeting acknowledges Gaius's exceptional spirituality. How do we know that? Because as we look at verse 2, he says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Now look carefully what he's saying here. And be in your physical health just as your soul prospers. In other words, grows and matures. The Apostle John, knowing this, this follower of Christ and this faithful uh, disciple of Christ, he says, I know how you are spiritually. He says, I know that your soul has prospered. You, you are spiritually very healthy. I would, wish, I would wish that you could be as physically healthy as you are spiritually healthy. And he, re he recognizes that this is a man of spiritual maturity and then as you go on there in verse 3 and 4, he says, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Now just stop there a second, because in 2 John, John emphasized the importance of knowing where individuals stand on the truth. The truth of the, of the identity of who Jesus Christ really is. He is fully God, fully man. The truth of the teachings of the apostles. The truth of the early church as being taught and, and, and instructed by the apostles. The truth of the biblical gospel. And so, John is in verse 3, he's celebrating the fact that not only is this dear brother spiritually healthy, growing and maturing, but he's obviously grounded in the truth. That, those are key elements in the life of an individual who seeks to be a person of, of, of Christian integrity. And how does John know that? Because he says that when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. He says, I'm hearing, Gaius. I'm hearing the reports. These brethren that John is talking about, we'll be looking at in just a moment. These are obviously traveling preachers and evangelists who are circulating under the authority of the elder, preaching the message, the true message of the gospel, the true identity of Jesus Christ, and planting churches and helping to keep ch churches strong and healthy. And they're making their circuit. They're coming back to the church at Ephesus where John is writing from. And they're giving reports. And in their reports they're saying, hey, this fellow Gaius, your friend Gaius. Oh, John, he's grounded, brother. He 
He knows the truth. He lives the truth. And John is celebrating. This is, this is so reminiscent of what we see in John, in 2 John, in verse 4, when John said to the elect lady something very similar. He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. So you see, this is a big deal to the Apostle John. And folks, it needs to be a big deal to Christians today. We need to not only know the truth, we need to stand on the truth, we need to abide according to the teachings of the truth and live our lives according to the Word of God. Especially in light of the fact that there are so many out there who are trying to undermine the truth of the Word of God. Some of them calling themselves Christians. Very liberal congregations across this nation, the Bible has been cut and pasted like to make you just almost tremble. Some of the things being preached and, and taught from pulpits across this nation by men calling themselves pastors, uh, when they deny the, the truths of the holy word of God, the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word of God, they're undermining the truth. We have a responsibility as Christians to know the truth. And that's why I'm so glad that our church puts such strong emphasis on teaching the word of God. We're not caught up in pop psychology and, the, uh, and all the social trends and, and teaching topical lessons that maybe whet your appetite as to what's going on in the contemporary world. I mean, sure, we need to be informed. But first of all, we need to be informed and grounded in the truth by which we can discern everything else. We can filter everything else. All the other false worldviews that are out there, if you know God's Word and you stand in God's Word, you'll know how to filter out what is false and unhealthy and unspiritual and unscriptural and be able to stand true as Gaius stands true. I heard an old wise preacher in this area one time say, hey listen, just because something glitters doesn't mean it's gold. And that's the truth. I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of religious movements out there, so-called Christian movements out there. All they've got all the glitz and the glamour and the action and all the things that attract people. But let me tell you something. If you give them close examination and hold them up against the teachings of the Word of God, you'll find that they're not really made of biblical substance. And so John is commending his friend for his integrity. But as we move further... And, and, and don't, don't overlook the fact that in verse 1, in verse 3, and in verse 4, four times John makes mention of the word truth. Makes me think about a study that I think Josh McDowell came out with for young people years ago called Truth Matters. Listen, to John the elder, the apostle, the follower of Christ, the beloved disciple, let me tell you something, truth matters. And it ought to matter to God's people today. John not only commends his friend for his, in, his spiritual integrity, but he also, as we look further in verses 5 and the first part of verse 6, John commends his friend for his hospitality. There's that word again. There's that whole concept of receiving others into your care or to take care of or to help or to assist. And, and Gaius's authentic faith produced good works. Ha, where did we hear that before? Maybe, maybe it was that old practical disciple 
I don't think Martin Luther was too crazy about James was. It seemed like I heard sometimes he said James ought to be thrown out of the Bible or something. But, but James is so practical, sometimes it would be offensive to those who are deeply theological. But the fact is, he's got some good truths in here. One of the truths that James said in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, what, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also faith by itself, it does not have, that does not have works, is dead. James says, listen, if your faith is not producing godly works, if there's not something coming out of your so-called faith that honors God in action, James is saying, you need to go back and take a good look at your faith. Maybe it's a dead faith. Maybe it's not a true, substantive faith. But that was not the problem for Gaius because we know that his authentic faith produced good works that were evidence. His stance on the truth led to action. Actions that benefited other Christians. Let's look there in verse 5. Again, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and, and, for, and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. And commentators tell us that, that Gaius, like other true Christians, had, a, had a, a, a practice of opening up his home and, and bringing these traveling preachers and, and traveling teachers into his home. He showed hospitality. He recognized the importance of helping them and, and ministering to them and helping to take care of their physical needs, maybe feeding them or helping them to have a comfortable place to, 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 to lay their head and to, to rest. And, and, and so that was an important part of his, his faith in action, if you will. I think it's interesting because you see a little bit of a contrast between 2 John and 3 John. If I take you back over to 2 John and see in my Bible, you can just look back across the page. It's just one page looking at another page. You don't have to flip a page. There's something to be said about these short epistles. But, but you may recall from 2 John in chapter, of not chapter because there's only one, but in verse 10 and 11, John is in regards to hospitality. The, the elect lady obviously was a, was a wonderful, loving, uh, faithful Christian and lady who practiced hospitality and received people into her home. But John is, is cautioning the sister. In, in 2 John, he says, if anyone, in, in 2 John verse 10, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, what is the doctrine? The truth. Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. He says, oh, listen, sister, hospitality is a great thing. And, and I know that you're a very hospitable and social, you know, and loving Christian sister. But be careful. Maybe, and this is speculation, the implication is that possibly in her thrill and zeal to be hospitable, she was bringing into her home maybe some of the heretics. People that claim to know Jesus Christ, who claim to be preaching the gospel. And you know, if they mentioned Jesus, come on in, y'all, we'll take you. And John said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Don't you bring into your house just anybody. You examine them, get to know them. Well, that wasn't the problem. In contrast, in 3 John, 
John didn't have to say that to Gaius because he knew that, as I shared with you earlier, the brethren had already testified to him. Hey, listen, this Gaius, he knows the word of God. <laughs> he examined us. He checked us out. I mean, he wasn't being rude and crude or nothing like that. But he, hey, before they got to sit down at the dinner table, Gaius probably took them through a little bit of drilling and said, where do you stand on, on the humanity of Christ? What is your beliefs about the deity of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And tell me what you believe about the teachings of the apostle Peter and others and Paul. And, you know, and when they met the, the mustard, if you will, then he says, come on in, boys, you're one of us. I know, I know that, that we don't have that situation today where we have traveling preachers and evangelists and teachers. Most times, if we have a guest evangelist, we'll put them out, up at a local hotel or something like that. But, but even if you're not talking about you know, traveling preachers of the Word of God, just talking in terms of how you entertain people. Who, who do you invite? I'm not talking about into just the living room of your house or the dining room of your house. But who do you invite into the inner circles of your life? Who do you open up your heart to? And share those deep thoughts of your life and, 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 and give that deeper love. We talked about that last time from 2 John. It's clear that the Scriptures teach us that Christians are not to be engaged in very intimate, close relationships of fellowship with those who are not walking in the truth. Paul says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Be careful. Be discerning. Well, with Gaius, that was not a problem because Gaius had a reputation of standing on the truth. And he's, he was a man of love. And, it was, and you see that. You know, it's interesting in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul gave a similar admonition to Christians at the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 he said be wise in the way you act towards outsiders or strangers make the most of every opportunity that could pertain to you and me personally in our homes be wise get to know people before you just openly just for the sake of having another friend open up the heart doors of your heart and your life you know be wise Make sure that you seize the opportunity. Is this someone that you can trust? Is this someone that shares your convictions? Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have uh, unsaved friends. But my goodness, that should be a part of our friendship circle, but not our closest and most intimate friendship circle. But we have a responsibility. Paul is saying there in Colossians 5 when he says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. You could look at that also from the perspective of don't be cold. Don't be indifferent. Hey, listen, that, that could say a lot for churches too, right? Somebody shows up here, we don't know them. You know, just because we don't know them doesn't mean that we don't reach out to them and greet them and make them feel welcome and, 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 and try to get to know them, know something about them, make them feel comfortable. Be wise because who knows? But God sends that person to us on that particular Sunday. That this person may not know Jesus Christ now, but having witnessed the genuine love and the fellowship of the congregation and the stance on the Word of God, they may be drawn towards Christ. And so you see, it's not a matter of not having associations with those who are not lost, but simply be wise, make the most of every opportunity. 
You know, as I think about the church today, I think about in Romans in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul had a word for, for those early Christians and, and certainly does for, for you and me today. Let me read from uh, Romans in chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, in honor given preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Lord rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. That ought to be one of the marks. These ought to be the marks of a true follower of Christ. And, and in that list, you notice that Paul said that we should be hospitable towards those who come our way. I'm mighty proud of the fact that our Pilot Mountain Baptist Association in the many ministries that we have uh, one of the ministries we have uh, is, is the uh, missionary houses and, and we've had individuals who have uh, who have donated or willed to our association their homes that the association take, takes over and, 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 uh, and maintains and furnishes and keeps the utilities on and those homes are there so that when our missionaries, your missionaries, come off of the uh, missions field, particularly from international missions, and they're coming back here to the area for a short span of time, usually for, say, three, six months, they, they need a place to live. And, and it's so nice to have these nice homes that we can invite these families off the mission field where they've been serving so sacrificially and so faithfully to, to say, here, we got a home, why are you waiting for you? And, and that's just a, a, you know, that's a way that when you give to, to the cooperative program and you give through the, um, uh, your, your offerings to the Pilot Mountain Association, you are helping to show hospitality towards our missionaries. I know this December, uh, uh, Scott and Sarah Parks and their three sons who were here just a few years ago. They're missionaries, our international missionaries in Great Britain, and they'll be here on a, a brief furlough. And they'll be able to stay in one of these missionary houses. And they'll be there and they'll have everything provided for them. We are doing that. So you see, in some way, we are still extending hospitality to those. And that's a responsibility of Christians for those that are serving the Lord, that, that need our help and need our support. We need to be involved. So John commends his friend for his integrity. John commends his friend for his hospitality. But then it's interesting as, as we close out this portion of, of uh, 3 John, you see where John the elder counsels his friend regarding hospitality. And we pick up there in verse 6 in the second half of that verse and read on through verse 8. He says, If you send them forward on their journey, speaking of the brethren, those traveling uh, ministers, evangelists, and preachers, if you send them forward on their journey... In a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. For we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So what is, is, is John saying here? Let me just take you back and give you the background. Because remember, John is a first-hand witness of Jesus Christ. 
He, he, he sat with the Lord. He ate with the Lord. He listened to the Lord. He, he drank in not just what Jesus said, but, but the message behind it. So I'm sure that John is reflecting back to Matthew chapter 10, or that incident in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus is speaking in verse 40. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. You hear what Jesus is saying there? You understand the importance of being hospitable and open and supportive and encouraging to those who are emissaries of the Lord? Jesus says when you receive them when you show hospitality towards them and you show kindness towards them and an awareness of their needs, he says, you are doing it unto me. If you're doing it to me, he says, you're doing it unto God the Father. And so, he, and so with that in the backdrop, he reminds Gaius of our responsibility to represent the Lord. Don't do it Remember what Paul said about giving in 2 Corinthians 9? He says, this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows uh, bountifully will reap bountifully. Therefore let each man give as he accords in his heart, not grudgingly, of necessity. In other words, if you've got to have your arm twisted to do something good to support somebody that's doing God's work, God help you. Paul says, keep it. It's not doing any good anyway. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. Hospitality needs to be given in a spirit that is worthy of God. That's what John says there in, in, in verse 6. He says, as you're sending these traveling missionaries and evangelists, brothers in Christ who are dependent upon you and other brothers and sisters to help them, he says, do it in a manner that pleases God. Do it as if the Lord Himself is in you and leading you in how you take care of them. Because, he says, they are representatives of the Lord. Let me take you back real quick to Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, we talk about, why is it important? It's good to do good things as Christians, as a church. But folks, we always have to have the mindset in the back of our minds and the ultimate motive is what I'm doing sincere. Is what we are doing, is it pleasing to God? Does it reflect God? In, in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 10, Paul is writing to these Christians and he says, he says that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord. Now, he says that because he just said, look, as you look at the way I have presented myself, I make sure that what I do is worthy of the Lord. So in verse 10 of Colossians 1, he says that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. 
And then in 2 Thessalonians, or rather 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just listen how important it was to Paul that what we do is done in a manner that reflects God, that is pleasing to God. In, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, listen to what he says in verse 12. He says that you would have a walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So John is saying to Gaius here. He says, be sure that what you do for these people is that which would be reflecting God and be pleasing to God. God's people have a responsibility to aid one another. In verse 7 he says, because they went forth for His name's sake. He said, these men that have shown up at your door who are true preachers and, and proponents of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, they are worthy of your faithful and generous support because they are going in the name of the Lord. They're not out there, a dog and pony show, trying to draw a big crowd for their own name. They're not trying to make a name for themselves. What they're doing and, and sacrificing and doing it and depending upon the church to help them do it. He says they're doing it for the name of the Lord. And he says another thing. Gaius, have you noticed they take nothing from the Gentiles? Why is that significant? Again, they're not out there to have some great you know, tent crusade ministry that will draw many people all in to give themselves big names so that they can become popular. They're not out there generating some kind of a general fundraising where the, you know, even the unsaved people, they're begging them to contribute. They say, John says they're not asking the unsaved people. They're not, they're not appealing to those who are outside of the fellowship to support them. He says they're coming to the very ones who have a responsibility to support them and care for them and provide for their needs and help to support their ministries. What is, what is John saying to, to, to the church then through Gaius and to us today? And this is supported in Titus 3.13. He's saying basically it's our job to support the kingdom work. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid that the church would have to result to depending on the unsaved public to support God's kingdom work. And yet all across the community and all across the state and all across this country, you'll find well-intentioned churches out there sponsoring big fundraisers they don't care who comes and who gives as long as you give your dollar. Because we want to build a bigger building. And we want to have a bigger missions program. Or we want to have more church buses and vans. And so we're going to have these big dinners. And don't care what your character is or what you think. You can be an atheist. You can breathe fire towards the church. It doesn't matter. We just want your money. God forbid! That the church would have to turn to a secular, pagan, unbelieving world and say, help us do our work. Do you understand the significance of that? It says to the rest of the world around us, we don't trust God to do His work. 
We don't think the Lord can, can move in the hearts of His people to support His work. So we need your money. In fact, if it's okay, we don't mind doing some kind of a grant so we can get the government's money. God help us then. John says, love them, support them, pray for them. Be pleasing in God's sight because these men are worthy of your support because they're not dependent upon the secular world. They're dependent upon God's people to do the support. He reminds Gaius of the importance of discerning judgment. He says, Gaius, you're so smart. You knew these men were going out in the name of Christ. You knew these men were not taking money from the unsaved Gentiles. You knew these men were men of integrity. And you opened up your heart and your wallet and your home to support them. Why is that important? Let's close out looking at verse 8. Because John stresses something that is so absolutely important. He says, we... And he's not just saying you, Gaius. He's saying to everybody that reads this, usons. Because <laughs> these letters are circulated around to the other churches. Sure, they went to the individuals, but then after that they shared them to the churches. So anybody reading or teaching this would say, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Think about it, Gaius. You're confined to your town, your occupation, your location. But brother, through these men, through your generosity and your hospitality and your prayers and your support, you are a part of their kingdom work. The messages that they're preaching that shares the truth of the gospel that brings people to Jesus Christ and to salvation to become a part of the kingdom of God and every convert and every disciple that is added to the numbers of the church guests, you're a part of it. Through them, you are expanding the gospel. You're carrying on the Great Commission. And I guess you can see where I'm going with that. My goodness, I know sometimes it seems like every Sunday I stand up here, I mention some kind of an offering. And I promise you people, I'm not just laying in bed at night thinking of ways that I can get your money. You know, if that was the case, I'd just take up a love offering every Sunday for the preacher and be done with it. But, but you know, the kingdom of God work is so exciting. When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, He had in mind that one glorious day when He comes again in power and glory and, and he, he overthrows sin and the devil and, and he, he establishes the new heaven and new earth, He envisions a glorious day in a new earth and a new heaven where all tribes of the world, every language of the world will be represented in the presence of the throne of God. And Jesus knew that would happen through faithful Christians going and sharing the gospel and ministering the love of Christ to the needy and the hurting and those who are in the midst of disasters, whether directly going or going proxy by giving faithfully to support those who do. 
That's why I get excited when I read the reports that come in from our missionaries, whether they be uh, North American missionaries or international missionaries. Or, or, you know, when I see great things happening through our Baptist State Convention or our Pilot Mountain Association, I get excited. Just why did you, why you get excited? You didn't go over there to, you know, Ecuador. <laughs> you weren't over there working with these, you know, uh, the people in, in, in another part of our country, you know, in the ghetto and, 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 and sharing with drug addicts and prostitutes. You, you didn't do that, Charlie. I said, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. When I prayed for my missionaries and I gave sacrificially to support them, I see Charlie Martin going. And I love to do missions work, folks. Don't get me wrong. And I hope that God will give me the health to continue to have opportunities to actually go and to have hands-on. But when I don't, I love to give to our missionaries because they are doing work on your behalf and my behalf but for God's glory. And John says we ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Amen? Praise God. Giving and supporting and being actively involved in the work of God's kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, ought not to be viewed as a drudgery or some, something that you're just compelled to do out of responsibility. Listen, it ought to be viewed as a, every opportunity we have to, to be a part of it. We should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for making this opportunity possible for me.